it's the most sweet, white, beautiful fruit we've ever partaken of, understanding how the creator of the universe condescended into a physical flesh and blood and allowed himself to be killed for us. Having that revelation of love by our creator manifest in our heart gives us the power to overcome all things. Welcome back to Restore Gospel Podcast, where two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. We're going to pick up in 1 Nephi 3, where we left off, and talk about Nephi's vision. And why why did Nephi have a vision when... So sometimes we get revelations today, and we say, you know, well, it's kind of like our thing. Well, we'll go pray about it, see if it's real or not, you know. And mm-hmm. You don't see Nephi, you know, well, Dad, let me think on this. Let me make sure this is really of the Lord. You know, we'll go off and pray about it. He's He believed it, and he wanted to know. Right, and it wasn't like he was wanting to know, is it true? It's like he wanted it to be revealed to him. Like he wanted to experience it. And have it be re- have it be a revelation to him. And there's a difference between just wanting to verify if it's the truth or have it truly be revealed. You know, um, the fact that like I love how I love your story in that you guys shared what was in the Book of Mormon, mm-hmm. not trying to prove the book true, but just trying to show the love of Jesus through a story from the book. I you should know, tell you why why it contrasted so much because. Uh, even though we were in the restoration, the pastor that we were serving under in California, he was an ex uh, LDS bishop and he'd been through the missionary training school and he'd been, but he, he incorporated their missionary training into our event. Like we worked seven days a week. We had half a day off on Mondays to do our laundry. And it was all about how many people we could get to show up to the branch on Sunday. So it was all about, you know, he didn't care that we were teaching English class to, um, you know, since of a Japanese trying to get them to understand about Jesus, if they weren't coming to church on Sunday, we we're wasting our time. And that was the whole, so we left there feeling like failures because we hadn't gotten anybody to show up to the branch. So sorry to interrupt you, but that was the contrast between the two. Right. Quantity and not quality. <laughs> yeah. But sharing what's in the book of Mormon rather than come to our church because we have the book of Mormon and the fullness of the gospel and we're different. Right. Yeah, unfortunately, that seems like, you know, even even like the go you and teach slides and some of that stuff from the past is has been about converting people to the church. And that's not our calling. You know, our calling is to bring people to Jesus. You know, and it's I know a lot of people have a, an affection for those those classes in particular, but and there's others, too. But it just seems like it's always been focused on proving something to be right rather than just introducing them to their their creator. Yeah. Well, so in chapter three, there's a lot of changes. I say chapter three for RLDFs in this section of the Book of Mormon, regardless of at the beginning of of Nephi's vision, there's a number of changes here. I'm just going to show you one of them that was changed from the original uh, 1830 publication. Seven years later, under under the leadership of Joseph Smith, things were changed. And I, I have a theory why, but we'll uh We'll read just one of them. Here's the first one in, in chapter, um, 
verse 58, chapter three, Arlodius. And uh, he says, and he said unto me, behold, the virgin, which thou seest is the mother of God after the manner of the flesh. It was changed to say the virgin is the mother of the son of God. That was in what? 37. They changed that or what year? Correct. Yeah. And I don't know how long it stayed. I think in our, in our culture, our LDS, I don't know if it was 1908 that it went back or, but it stayed for quite some time. And I don't, I don't even know. Um, it might still say that. Well, it still, it still says that in the night in our book of Mormon, other than the RCE edition, which is one that went back to the original, which has just been in the last, you know, 20 years, I guess, maybe. Yeah. So. So, then, so we're looking at the 1908 right now on the screen, right? This is the 1908. Correct. So that's what, yeah. that's what, for all intents and purposes, most, um, if you're not using the new restored covenant edition, this is what you see. And I believe this is probably what the LDS sees in their um, Book of Mormon as well. Mm -hmm. So there's a number of those, um, at least four or five, four in just this small section. In our chapter three, there's like 14 or 15 changes in the Book of Mormon. Um, and some significant ones, but we won't go over those now. But just to be aware as we go through this, the point is the nature of God was very clearly given to Lehi and Nephi for a reason, for us to understand this great condescension that we're going to hear about. And it seems like the devil just got right in there and changed the nature of God early on that led to all kinds of crazy doctrines later on. It's my theory that Joseph had already had gotten the book of Abraham in between the next printing and began to see that there was a council of gods, that there's a number of gods and, you know, certain things started forming in his mind that culminated by the time they got to Nauvoo, that God was once a man. And so I think he shifted away from only one God, you know, coming down and dying for us to, mm -hmm. well, there needs to be a God and a son and they're progressing. It just, it just, it was the beginning of a, of a slope that ended up in all kinds of false beliefs to this day for millions and millions of, of people, in my opinion. Yeah. Just, I believe that, I believe lectures on faith uh, says that there's also two the father and the son and then the the spirit holy spirit is the mind of the two of them or something like that because the father has a body of might it might not say body a body of spirit and yeah. and christ has one of flesh um i don't know if that's just uh i don't know what i feel about that specifically at least it says spirit but yeah in any record yeah, it just seems like the there have it's it kind of shift. You could almost follow it shifting over time and not quite, not quite being said the same way as previous versions, you know, and uh, it all kind of shifted away from the original book of Mormon, what it said in the book of Mormon. Yeah. Well, should we dig in? Sure. So it starts out. Nephi says, as I sat pondering in my heart, I was caught away in the spirit of the Lord into an exceeding high mountain, a mountain which I never had before seen and upon which I never had before set my foot. I like the thought that he sat pondering in his heart. And I just made a little note, like how often in this day and age do we 
take time to ponder in our heart, to set aside just quiet time where we're not even reading the scriptures per se, or that we're just pondering in our heart. And would this, would this experience have happened if he hadn't been doing that? Right. Yeah. Especially today in our world of distractions, technology, and, you know, entertainment. And it just, how often do we really just sit and think about the Lord and quiet, you know? I know you did some research, but uh, this this idea that being caught away to at a high mountain is a theme throughout the Bible and the in the Book of Mormon, the scriptures that uh, a lot of times when the Lord does something of val of um, of value uh, or communicates uh, in a way to His creation that it's on a high mountain. Yeah, I think it kind of it kind of goes back to you know it kind of started in the in the garden you know, where they were in the presence of the Lord and they were driven out of the garden and they no longer had access to it. And then you move forward to Moses where he came up on a mountain and had the burning bush experience and was in the presence of the Lord to get the, um, to get the, um, you know, the tablets, uh, 10 commandments. And then you got brother Jared, same thing, went to the mountain and, you know, got them, you know, had the, his experience, um, I think this just kind of, if you look at the, if you look at the word mountain, it's all through there and it all talks about, you know, coming up into the Lord's presence, you know, Mount Zion, for example. Um, and I think it's, I don't think there's anything special about physically about a mountain, you know, it's just high elevated land, but I think there's a, there's a sort of a, at least in our minds, we, we sort of see it as closer to God, even though, you know, God's not physical, but in, I think it something about sort of being drawn apart from the world and, being brought up into his presence, kind of meeting him halfway or coming, you know, coming up into the mountain of the Lord. Um, that theme repeats over and over through the scriptures. Well, certainly when you look out, when you're on a mountain and you look down below, like say a city where you're at, or it mm -hmm. seems so small and it seems like a different perspective. Like life seems so real and all enveloping when I'm down there, you know, in that, on that little road in my car. But when I'm up here, it's like, it's just all so far away and it's so insignificant. Yeah. Yeah. When I was a, a little better shape, um, I summited a couple of 14,000 footers oh. in Colorado and, uh, yeah, that experience clump, you know, you, every step you, you're, you know, the oxygen's low and every step you take, you're just pushing yourself to finally make it there. And once you're there, you know, and you can catch your breath and you're not having to walk anymore and just seeing around you that everything just seems so, it puts the world in perspective. You know, you look like it, like if you're at Pikes Peak, you can look down and see Colorado Springs and it, it just seems like nothing, you know, it just totally changes your perspective. So right. maybe, maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's what God was sort of doing for, for Lehi or for Nephi is sort of getting him away from his surroundings and, you know, getting him into a, into a place where he could focus on him, you know? He's certainly, certainly alone, but yeah. So anyway, we're um, caught up into the mountain. Um, and then the spirit asks Nephi, what do you want? What do you desire? And, and what, what did Nephi say? What's the significance of that, do you think, Shane? Well, I think, uh, you know, I think the fact that I mean, Nephi had to actually say the words, you know, I, I, you know, he exercised faith in saying that I that I'd like to see what my father saw. Um, you know, and then the spirit came back and said, "Well, do you believe what you saw? Do you believe in your father's experience?" And he said, "Yes, I believe all the words of my father." And and then the spirit 
you know, cried out with enjoy, you know, praising God that he had this, this level of faith. Nephi just had this amazing level of faith, you know, it went against everything he had known up to that point. You know, they were living in Jerusalem. His dad wasn't a, wasn't a spiritual leader, wasn't a prophet, wasn't anything at all until God moved upon him. And so, and Nephi just sort of embraced this. It just, he just rung truth. It rang as true in his heart. His heart was soft and it was open to receive the spirit. And he just embraced it. Do you, isn't that neat that the spirit, it says the spirit cried when, when, when Nephi says, you know, I believe. And it says, Hosanna to the Lord, the most high God, for he is God over all the earth. Yea, even above all and blessed art thou Nephi. Because thou believest in the Son of the Most High God, wherefore thou shalt behold the things which thou hast desired. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like there's rejoicing in heaven or on the other side of the veil that that there's going to be the ability to reveal things of eternity to a mortal man, and that there's pleasure. It seems like at least from the spirit, he was rejoicing that right. that he was going to be able to witness these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I often wonder about that scripture that's in the Bible. It says that that we entertain, sometimes we entertain angels unaware, you know, and there's a lot of different ways you could read that. But, you know, I wonder if sometimes just our choices when we when we do something to please God or we, we put our, you know, put someone else before us, things like that, when we have humility, if there isn't rejoicing that happens in the heavens that we just aren't aware of because we're on the other side of the veil. Well, do you want to go ahead and just read? So, uh, you know, I know sometimes it gets a little laborious reading word for word, but I think in this instance, this this vision is so descriptive and, and distinct. It's it's not like normal scripture talk. It's it's almost like a parable or a, I don't know, just a, let's just read it. I think it'll be, okay. be better that way. All right. Starting in 45, it says, And behold, this thing shall be given unto thee for a sign that after thou hast beheld the tree which bore the fruit of which thy father tasted, thou shalt also behold a man descending out of heaven. And him shall ye witness, and after that ye ye shall have witnessed him, or after that, sorry, I lost my spot. And after that ye shall have witnessed him, ye shall bear record that it is the Son of God. Okay. Is that one of those that was, uh, I wonder if that's one of those that was changed. Maybe not. I think it might have been, though. We won't point them all out, but go ahead. Um, well, that's in the RCE. You're re- we're reading from the RCE, right? So that wouldn't that's uh, right. okay. Yeah, right. Yep, yeah. yep. It'll be easier. And, to it, go yeah. ahead. And it came to pass that the Spirit said unto me, "Look." And I looked and beheld a tree, and it was like unto the tree which my father had seen, and the beauty thereof was far beyond, yea, exceeding of all beauty. And the whiteness thereof did exceed the whiteness of the driven snow. And it came to pass that after I had seen the tree, I said unto the spirit, I behold that thou hast shown unto me the tree, which is most precious above all. And he saith unto me, what desirest thou? And I said unto him to know the interpretation thereof. For I spake unto him as a man speaketh. For I beheld that he was in the form of a man. Yet nevertheless, I knew that it was the spirit of the Lord. And he spake unto me as a man speaketh with another. And it came to pass that he said unto me, Look. And as I looked, and I looked as if to look upon him, and I saw him not. 
for he had gone from before my presence. And it came to pass that I looked and beheld the great city Jerusalem and also other cities. And I beheld the city of Nazareth and the city of Nazareth. And in the city of Nazareth, I beheld a virgin and she was exceeding fair and white. And it came to pass that I saw the heavens open and an angel came down and stood before me. And he saith unto me, Nephi, what beholdest thou? And I said unto him, A virgin, most beautiful and fair above all other virgins. And he saith unto me, Knowest thou the condescension of God? And I said unto him, I know that he loveth his children. Nevertheless, I do not know the meaning of all things. And he saith unto me, Behold, the virgin which thou seest is the mother of God after the manner of the flesh. And that's where I think uh, the right. 1908 shows uh, son of God, right? Mother of the son of God. Right. Let me let me bring up a couple of things here. Number one, he's talking about that he spoke unto this spirit as a man speaketh, or, or as a man speaketh, and that he was in the form of a man. Ever, nevertheless, I knew that it was the spirit of the Lord, and he spoke unto me as a man speaketh with another. But when he says to look, he sees the city Jerusalem, and he sees that the, the spirit who was speaking to him like a man was gone from his presence. And then he sees Nazareth and, and a virgin, and that she's the mother of God. And I wonder, why did the, do you think that that spirit that was speaking to him like a man was Jesus? And I, I had a, someone sent us an email one time and said, it's interesting that the, when he sees this virgin that's going to give birth to the, to the baby, the son of, you know, the, God, mm-hmm. that he's he's no longer standing next to him, but he's seeing the vision of Mary, who's going to give birth to God, and right. that then the heavens open and an angel comes down to talk with him now. But it's like as he's seeing this God come forth, the one talking to him is now gone, like next to him, because now he's in. Is it is it because now he's in the vision and witnessing him being born to the world? That was the question that was posed, and I I think that's an interesting concept why else would he be gone why would he point out that he was gone and an angel came to take his place to finish right well that is interesting i you know i i do think that we had we have to remember that he was taken in the spirit to an exceeding high mountain you know so his his physical body wasn't necessarily there i mean he was taken into the he was taken beyond the veil into the spirit world and so, you know, he, and he, you know, he acknowledged that he, he appeared to him to be like a man, but yet he knew in his mind that he didn't have any flesh, you know, that he was in a spiritual state. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Um, I don't know that, I don't know if it's all that important, but maybe there's a nugget there that we're, we're missing. I think there is a nugget, not that I'm going to say for sure, but I, I think it's purposefully written that he was, that I looked and he was gone. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then he sees the virgin, uh, or he sees uh, Mary in Nazareth, exceeding virgin, exceeding fair and white. But anyway, I, I point that out because it's up to the listeners to pray about that and see what the Lord reveals. But it is an interesting thing. Yeah. Um. Also, the link between verse fifty-five and fifty-six here. He says, I say unto him, a virgin most beautiful and fair above all of the virgins that he sees. And then the, and the angel asked him a question, knowest thou the condescension of God? 
as soon as he sees this woman. And he replies, I know not. I know that he loves his children, but I don't know all things. And he says again, behold, the virgin, which is the mother of God. And then 59 says, I beheld that she was carried away in the spirit for a space of time. And then the angel said, look. And I looked and she was bearing a child in her arms. And what does the angel proclaim in 62? And behold, the Lamb of God, yea, even the eternal father. Right. So that's another change that um, that probably says in most books, the, the son of the eternal father. Yeah, probably. So behold, the Lamb of God, the eternal father. Now, here's the, the link on the other end when he says, knowest thou the meaning of the tree which thy father saw? And then what's, what's the reply? Sheer Shane. Yea, it is the love of God which sheddeth itself abroad in the hearts of the children of men. Wherefore, it is the most desirable above all things. So before we get too far down, you know, I love that that verse where it says about the condescension of God. It you can, It's easy to just kind of read over it, but if you stop and you kind of think about it, you know, here's God who is infinite. He is outside of, t- of time. He's so powerful. You know, he's he's everything omnipotent. And, you know, there's there's nothing he can't do other than violate his own, you know, who he is. Um, and there is no other God besides him. There's no there's nothing else in all of the universe and all of any existence besides him and and yet he puts himself in a fl- in flesh you know and he didn't come in a in a 30 year old man's body he came in a in a helpless baby child that could do nothing for itself you know i mean think about baby jesus i mean he couldn't do anything here was god the god of creation stuck in this form of flesh that's absolutely helpless can't feed himself, can't wash himself, can't protect himself. Mm. He's absolutely vulnerable to everything the world has to, to throw at him. You know, and I was thinking about the other day. So I live in Texas and we have a lot of fire ants here. Mm-hmm. And uh, these fire ants, I've never, I've came from, you know, other, other places in the Midwest and I've never seen anything like these things. They make these mounds just all over the place. They just pop up. And, um, you know, you mow the yard or whatever, or we have a rain storm and the next day you look outside and you've got all these mounds and these things they're aggressive if you stay in one spot too long they'll come right up your shoes and right up onto your legs and just start biting you like crazy and i mean it's almost like it's almost like a movie you know it's like if you if you disturb the mound a little bit they just come pouring out so i was sitting there thinking about it and i thought okay so and this is a horrible example but it's what i was thinking about the other day as i was reading this imagine if i decided that I was going to live among the fire ants. <laughs> and so I was able to condescend into their world as a fire ant <laughs> and just be a part of their little community, you know? And I mean, it's, it's just like, I mean, we don't, we don't think anything of it. You know, we dump stuff on the fire, we dump stuff on the mound and burn them all out and try to get rid of them with chemicals, you know? And, and you see one climbing on, you're going to smash it immediately. Cause it's, it's, it's a, it's a pass. It's a hazard, you know? And, um, but yet God, I mean, he could easily do that to us too, or, and we are the enemy to him according to the scriptures. And yet he condescended and came into our environment, into our world, became one of us and came as a helpless child. And that understanding, thinking about that condescension is just, 
it's just mind blowing if you think about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And as soon as he, as soon as he talks to him about the condescension of God and, and asks him what he sees, he says he's, he sees the angel said that this was the lamb of God, even the eternal father, this little baby and immediately asks him, um, knowest thou the meaning of the tree? And he says, yeah, it's the love of God, which sheddeth itself abroad in the hearts of the children of men. Wherefore, it is the most desirable above all things. I think there's a connection made here that maybe wasn't in, in Lehi's portion as Nephi seeing it, that he's showing him that this tree of life, this fruit, this is the love of God. This is the condescension of God. It's This is, this is the revelation of what it means that our creator in heaven compared to all of these other gods that the society worshiped back then that were willy-nilly and given to their to their uh you know how do we please the gods the gods are angry so these things are happening we want to give these sacrifices to keep them on our good side and they were fickle they were you know just you couldn't trust them you didn't know what mood they were in right but here's this vision of this god and it shows he loves us so much, he comes down and he takes on flesh and blood and he relates this to the tree. This this love, this fruit that's so white, it's the revelation of how much our God loves us. So when we say come unto Christ and be perfected in him, I believe that what that really means is that he's he reveals himself to me in such a way that I understand how much he loves me. This revelation of Jesus, when they say, well, do you believe in Jesus? I believe that he is. Yes. Well, it's really what it's talking about is, do you believe he loves you? Do you believe that? Do you understand how much he loves you? And as we have this revelation of Jesus Christ, it's about his love. Understanding that love and that condescension is the fruit that is white and better than anything to know that you are loved by the creator of the universe. And right. when that happens to you, you find the ability to love others and you're willing to lay down your life for others because you care about them so much and your life is nothing other than loving other people. That's what it's all about. I think this vision ties that in that he says, this is the love of God that sheds itself abroad and it's the most desirable above all things and the most joyous to the soul. And then he brings it back to Jesus again as soon as he talks about the tree. So I just see that link between condescension of God, the fruit, the tree, and Jesus coming down among us, that it's, it's all the same concept. Yeah. Can you, um, can you put up that graphic of the, the tree that I sent you? Yeah. Let's see here. Well, and while you're getting that, I'll just mention, um, yeah, I mean, I think this whole thing is centered around God's love and, you know, love is such a, a topic that we just sort of, we sort of throw it around. Um, in our society today, you know, we tie love into it. We basically just treat it like an emotion and we tie it into, you know, I love, we, we use the word love in the same way we'd use like, you know, I love pizza. I love, you know, I love watching football, you know, that kind of thing. But when you're talking about charity, we're talking about the true love of Jesus Christ, the kind of love that would lay down its life, you know, that would condescend into a human being just because it loved the human beings that it created. Um, you know, this graphic kind of shows that. So the tree is labeled as the love of God. And, and it's that love that drives everything on the, on, you know, in the vision. So the love of God was made flesh 
in the form of Jesus. If you look at that era going up, um, the word of God is Jesus made flesh. Um, and even when we're in our temptations in the midst of darkness, that love of God, which is Jesus, is made is a source of strength to help get through the temptations. You know, so it's all tied in. I mean, the love of God is our is what we want to achieve, but it's the love of God that helps us to get there in the first place. You know, and it's the love of God that keeps us from falling into spiritual death or to, you know, to experience this justice of God, which is what happens if we follow in, if we go into the world. And the love of God is the opposite of the pride of the world. That's the, the complete opposite. So, yeah, I mean, I think love and Jesus kind of are the whole central theme of the whole vision. Um, we pull the scripture back up here. So the vision, oops, the vision continues. Um, so if you go, where go where you were and just scroll back up a little bit, um, where it talks about the Lamb of God. I think it's a couple of verses before that. Yeah, right there, sixty-two. So I find this interesting. So he says, "Behold, the Lamb of God." So he's introducing Jesus to Nephi. And the first thing he says is, this is the Lamb of God. And I wonder if Lehi had more of an understanding of what that meant to call him the Lamb. Because, you know, they had the, they had the brass plates, which were more complete than, the, uh, than, than our Old Testament, than the Torah. And so th they had the more complete version of, of the scriptures up to King Zedekiah. And not only that, but it had not been in the hands of the abominable church. So it hadn't been you know, altered and messed with um, like our like our Bible had in the Old Testament. And so I'm wondering if you know, he had a better understanding of the Messiah that would come and that there would be a lamb of God, you know, that would come and atone for sin and all that. And he may he may have had a better understanding of that. And so when he said, here's the lamb of God, behold, the lamb of God, yea, even the eternal father. You know, I, I wonder if that was as much of a revelation as we think it, you know, as it, to him, as it is, as we think of it as being a revelation, just because our Old Testament doesn't, doesn't lay it out as clearly as, as what his, his did, because we're told that we're told the brass plates were more complete, but how interesting to, to, to introduce him as the lamb. Like this is, this is the one, I mean, obviously Nephi knew what sacrificing was, you know, and they did it regularly. And so now you're here, here's God. Here's God, and you're going to use him as your sacrifice. It's an interesting way to introduce him. I I, I know we'll we will never know the effect uh, because we haven't grown up in a culture of killing animals. John John the Baptist in the Bible introduces him as as he's walking. Behold, the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. Mm -hmm. That connection right there taking all of their mosaic law, all of the sacrifices, so that they could be clean every every throat that was slit and blood that was poured saying, here's the lamb of God, the lamb of God, not the lamb of your tribe and your family to, to free you, but the lamb of God that it's going to take away the sins of the entire world. Um, yeah, that's in the book of Mormon. You do a search on that sometime lamb. It's mentioned so many more times than lamb of God. Uh, he's yeah. referred to quite often as the lamb of God in the book of Mormon as opposed to that one, that one time in the, when John said it. Yeah. As you mentioned that, you know, you think about how much went into the temple 
I mean, everything had to be done exactly right. They had to, you know, they had to wash in a certain way. They had to have the right bread and the, the candles lit and the, the sacrifices had to be very specific. The lambs couldn't have any blemishes and they couldn't have, they could never have had their legs broken. And they only got to go into the Holy of Holies one time each year, you know, to, to uh, go in with the ark. And I mean, just think about the burden of keeping that going. I mean, it's hard enough just to keep a church building clean, but can you imagine all the, the rituals that had to be done exactly right? And they, you know, God taught them right from the beginning that you can't mess this up. I mean, they had Aaron's two sons died because they didn't handle it right, you know, when they went into the tabernacle. And so you think about all that symbolism and all the stuff they had to do. And now here's this lamb of God that's going to pay this ultimate price. And you no longer have to do that. No more temple, no more, no more rituals, no more sacrificing, you know, and, and that's one of the first things Jesus said when he came to the, to this continent, he said, you no longer have to, sacrifice animals anymore right. I, w- I won't accept him anymore you know and i mean to me that would be a relief you know <laughs> like uh no more killing of the animals no more you know all this process and now yeah. i can just have a relationship with him you know what a what a beautiful story to be revealed to them it is beautiful that um no more temples till 1830 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that later right. all right so Let's read on. Um, talks about the tree. And I saw many fall down and worship him, fall down to his feet and worship him. It came to pass that there was a rod of iron, which my father had seen was the word of God, which led to the fountain of living waters or to the tree of life, which waters are a representation of the love of God. And you can go ahead and read if you want. Yeah. Well, before we leave that, um, I've got, if you want to pull up that picture that I sent you, that it shows the um, uh, it shows you a, a fountain with water in it. Yeah, to the the one on the far right, the one that's got water in it. They. So, um, I did a little research on what a li- what a living what a fountain of living waters is. Um, so, in Israel, what they would do because water was such a problem they would create uh, cisterns and they would hewn them out of these rocks, you know, basically cut a hole in the, in the ground and they would, you know, get rainwater to run in there. Um, they would try to keep them as full as they could. Um, and it was just a, a way to store water. But the problem was, is that it didn't stay very fresh. I mean, it, it could stagnate and disease could grow in it and all that. Um, the best kind of water source was what they called a fountain of living water. And a fountain of living water was basically what we'd call a spring. And so, you know, they have these little natural springs in, in various places, but not, not all that many around that area. And they, and those were just valued as just treasures, you know? Um, and so Jeremiah 2, 12 to 13, he makes a reference. He says, be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, saith the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living waters and hewn them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And so that other picture is an emptied empty cistern. But, Mm. you know, this is Jeremiah prophesying to the people that you need to go to the source of living water where the water is pure from a spring and it remains, it's moving. It's remains 
fresh. It, it empties itself constantly. It's constantly filling with fresh spring water. And, um, but yet, so that the two evils were one, they forsake God. They chose not to go to the fountain of living water. And two, they built their own. They created their own. <clears throat> and so I kind of think of that like, you know, building up false religions, things like that. Instead of going to the source of the, of the living water, we created our own, you know, this sort of this fake way of, of doing it. <clears throat> um, and Jeremiah 17, 13 does the same thing. It says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed. And they that depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. And so that that was a known thing. A fountain of living waters is a known thing in Israel. So Nephi and Lehi would have known clearly what God meant by that. So here it <clears throat> compares, uh, it says the rod of iron leads to the fountain of living waters or to the tree of life. So both of those represent the love of God um, together. Uh, as being the same thing, the love of God. Um, right. And I also beheld that the tree of life was a represent representation of the love of God. And I also beheld, and the angel said unto me again, look and behold the condescension of God. I looked and beheld the redeemer of the world, which my father had spoken. And you can continue on if you want in 72. And I also beheld the prophet, which should prepare the way before him. And the Lamb of God went forth and was baptized of him. And after that he was baptized, I beheld the heavens open, and the Holy Ghost came down, come down out of heaven and abode upon him in the form of a dove. And I beheld that he went forth ministering unto the people in power and great glory. And the multitudes were gathered together to hear him, and I beheld that they cast him out from among them. And I also beheld twelve others following him. And it came to pass that they were carried away in the spirit from before my face that I saw them not. And it came to pass that the angel spake unto me saying, look, and I looked and I beheld the heavens open again. And I saw angels descending upon the children of men and they did minister unto them. What do you think that, what do you think that means? Do you have any ideas as it plays out in this, that he's showing him that the, the heavens opened, um, and I saw angels descending upon the children of men, and they did minister unto them. How is that tied into this vision? I don't, I don't know that I have an answer. Just, it seems interesting part of it. Well, I don't know. I mean, it, it, that does that is how it played out in the Americas. Remember, the angels came down and fed the children and all that. Maybe he's witnessing um, when Christ came to his mm. people. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, I guess you got to think of... Israel and, and this land as well, and right. the work that Jesus did. Well, and it would make sense that he would show him his seed, you know, his his future, not necessarily that of I mean, even though Israel's family, it's these right. were his these were his descendants. So then the sick and the afflicted, all manners of diseases, devils, unclean spirits, the angels showed all of these to him, and eighty five says, and they were healed by the power of the Lamb of the of the Lamb of God. And the devils and the unclean spirits were cast out. Um, and 86 says what? And it came to pass that the angel spake unto me again, saying, Look. And I looked and beheld the Lamb of God, and he was taken by the people. Yea, the everlasting God was judged of the world. And I saw and bear record. 
And I, Nephi, saw that he was lifted up upon the cross and slain for the sins of the world. I like how he points out, he, he understands the gravity of what really was going on here when he says, the everlasting God was judged of the world. You know, like how could how could anyone think that they could judge God, God himself? And I th- that's really interesting that, that Nephi understood what was going on in the vision, you know? Uh- this language there in 86 shows that number one, I looked and beheld the lamb of God that he was taken by the people. And then it's an, it's a second verse referring to the same thing or a second part of that. Yea, the everlasting God was judged of the world. So he's the lamb of God, though he's the lamb of God, he's also the everlasting God. Right. Judged of the world. And I saw and bear record. Yeah. By the way, you know, as it's... we go through this, how, how detailed is this? Compare this to the oh, like the Old Testament of the Bible. I mean, this is, I mean, you can't get it wrong, right? right. <laughs> you know yeah. who this is, Jesus. Right. Well, there's another little interesting tidbit. If you go back up to 86, you know, Israel, the Israelites didn't say the name of God. They didn't say Yahweh. They, they had all kinds of other names that were descriptive terms, you know, like El Sadai and, and they all meant like the God who loves or the God who saves or the God who, you know, mourns or, or whatever. And they all had different meanings. And so in that verse, he first calls him the lamb of God. So that was a job. That was a description of who he would be. But then it said, but then it says that the everlasting God was judged by man. So he basically, he, he clarified that we're talking about the God of, of everything of eternity, you know, not just, the, the God that did was going to do this one thing, this sacrifice, but, mm-hmm. but rather God, the father, God in his glory was judged of the world. Right. Or not just a, a son, a spiritual son of God right. that he sent down, but no, the everlasting God was judged of the world. Right. Cause he could have easily said the lamb of God was judged of the world, but, but by making it saying the emphasis. everlasting God, it's, it's bigger, you know? Yeah. Stating it twice with, with giving it emphasis Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, talk about specifics. In 87, he was lifted up on the cross and slain for the sins of the world. And after he was slain, I saw the multitudes of the earth that they were gathered together to fight against the apostles of the Lamb. For thus were the twelve called by the angel of the Lord. Mm-hmm. We know that that happened. And most of them, if not all, were, were killed or certainly went through trials. Mm-hmm. The multitude of the earth was gathered together, and I beheld that they were in a large and spacious building, like unto the building which my father saw. And the angel of the Lord spake unto me, saying, Behold the world and the wisdom thereof. Do you have your Book of Mormon in front of you by chance, Shane? Um, Yeah, let me grab it. I was going to say, if you can read this, I'll pull the picture up so um, we can see the... We can just see the... A little deal here that you made and actually i have mine so i can read from mine it's open right here yeah i've got it we're in three uh, what what verse are we in oh that was like 80 something okay <clears throat> Okay, it says, uh, 
Yeah, and I, Nephi, saw that he was lifted upon the cross and slain for the sins of the world. And after that he was slain, I saw the multitudes of the earth, that they were gathered together to fight against the apostles of the Lamb. For thus were the twelve called by the angel of the Lord. And the multitude of the earth was gathered together. And I beheld that they were in a large and spacious building, like unto the building which my father saw. And the angel of the Lord spake unto me, saying, Behold, the world and the wisdom thereof. Yea, behold, the house of Israel hath gathered together to fight against the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And it came to pass that I saw and bear record that the great and spacious building was the pride of the world. And it fell, and the fall thereof was exceeding great. And the angel of the Lord spake unto me, saying, Thus shall be the destruction of all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people that shall fight against the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And it came to pass that the angel said unto me, Look, and behold thy seed, and also the seed of thy brethren. And I looked and beheld the land, the land of promise. And I beheld multitudes of people, yea, even as it were in number, as many as the sand of the sea. And it came to pass that I beheld multitudes gathered together to battle one against the other. And I beheld wars and rumors of wars and great slaughters with the sword among my people. And it came to pass that I beheld many generations pass away after the manner of wars and contentions in the land. And I beheld many cities, yea, even that I did not number them. And it came to pass that I saw a mist of darkness on the face of the land of promise. And I saw lightnings, and I heard thunderings, and earthquakes, and all manner of tumultuous noises. And I saw the earth that it rent, and the rocks that they were rent. And I saw mountains tumbling into pieces, and I saw the plains of the earth that they were broken up. And I saw many cities that they were sunk, and I saw many that they were burnt with fire, and I saw many that they did tumble to the earth because of the quaking thereof. And it came to pass that after I saw these things, I saw the vapor of darkness that it passed from off the face of the earth. So, yeah, we've lost, we've left the, um, yeah, we're getting into some. Well, we're going into some prophecy and just uh, storyline of, I think, the history of Nephi and his people now, uh, as far as a symbolism of the the building and the rod and all of that. Well, it does it does do that later on, but I think he's laying down how his the history of his people is going to tie into the the vision because, like, over in like verse uh, one one twenty three one twenty four, he starts talking about the filthy water that they his father saw and all that. So it, it just, he's sprinkling in revelation that God showed him for his, his posterity. So uh, we could summarize probably some of this here, but he goes on to tell him that there's going to be 12 called uh, and they're going to be uh, the disciples of God in this, on this land. Like even it says, even unto the, like the 12 apostles, right here verse 115 remember the 12 apostles of the lamb behold they are they which shall judge the the tribes of israel wherefore the 12 ministers of thy seed shall be judged of them and these 12 ministers which thou beholdest shall judge thy seed Mm -hmm. i wondered uh we talked about that at one time what that means i don't have i just have thoughts i don't have anything anything i would say was revelation from heaven other than they're going to be teaching them, you know, by the power of the Holy Ghost, the gospel of Jesus, 
and that we're going to be judged by that. Just like it's, he says he'll visit the Gentiles uh, through his Holy Spirit, but we're judged by the Holy Spirit um, by how much credence we give to the teachings, right, of these men that were called to to present the gospel, to teach the gospel, um, and give us the words of Christ that will be judged according to that. So I don't know if it means they're sitting on a, a throne. I think only Jesus does that and says, yeah, you're in heaven, you're not. I don't see these disciples doing that, but they set right. the foundation and, and laid the foundation of the gospel, the teaching of Jesus, that um, whether we pay heed to that or not is going to be our judgment. Oh, right. That's my thought. I don't know what you have on that. Well, I don't have any particular insight regarding that, but you know, I, in some ways it's kind of like, you know, how it talks about turning the, the hearts of the children of the fathers and the fathers of the children. You know, we, some, you know, I think the LDS, you know, tie that in with celestial marriage and all that, but you know, it's what it's talking about is the hearts of the children, meaning, you know, us or the future, you know, the future generations to the prophets, to those that have gone before, you know, that we obey what they were given, what they were shown through our, in our scriptures, where God revealed himself to them. Um, and we've, we accept that and claim that as, as our belief as well, you know, turning our hearts to them, just like they turn their hearts to us. Um, you know, of course, all going back to, to, to God and, and how he's revealed himself to, to us. Um, and I think that this may tie into that in some way in that, you know, these apostles, their, their words, their letters became our scriptures, you know, and, and we, you know, we, you know, we see that we look to that. I mean, obviously the spirit has to reveal everything as truth to us, but you know, we, we look to those scriptures for guidance and, you know, I think we will be judged by how we handle, how we handle that truth that's been revealed to our fathers. Yeah. I'm going to move it on here just a little bit because angel basically says, um, I like this talking about his uh, Nephi's seed and brethren. They are righteous forever because of their faith in the lamb of God. Their garments are made white in his blood. It's because of their faith in the lamb of God that their garments are made white in his blood. Not, not, you know, they, that's it, man. You're still going to have sin. You're, you're not going to be perfect, but you can be made white by his blood if you exercise faith in him. And then he tells them that three generations pass away, that the garments were white, like under the Lamb of God. These are made white because of their faith in him. And he saw part of the fourth generation pass away. And then he saw the multitudes of the earth gathered together. And the angel said, Behold thy seed and the seed of thy brethren. And they were gathered to battle. And then we get back to the fountain of filthy water, which thy father saw. So I, I think this is a good stopping point here um, as he wraps up the vision. Um, we yeah, get to- I, I wanted to make one point. So I, I'm thinking about that as we're, as we're reading. You know, he sees all these battles. And, I mean, he knows he knows what he's dealt with with Laman and Lemuel. You know, and he, I'm sure he saw that it was his, his seed battling against Laman and Lemuel's seed. And, I mean, how how sad would that be to know that the feud you have right now with your brother or your brothers is going to continue on to future generations Mm -hmm. all the way to the time when Christ comes. I mean, just, 
that happened. And this is going to be before. this is going to be the story of the rest of the Book of Mormon for all intents and purposes. The the opposition between the whether it's it's Nephi and the Lamanites, but it's always the good and the bad, the the faithful and the unfaithful, and 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 so <laughs> there's going to be many battles ahead in this book. So yeah, yeah. well, so next time he's he's going to. We'll pick it up here when they go back to the, the vision in the filthy water. We're going to see what this what this means because it is that that big gulf in the middle. Those that believe in Jesus want His ways, and those that don't. And that's that's where the Book of Mormon really is beginning to lay the plan for eternal life here too. And where I think a lot of Joseph Smith and and got off on the restoration with these levels of heaven and things because this vision shows that there's a big gulf and you're either with the tree of life on one side or, or you're on the other. And we'll get into that as we continue on in the vision. But yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, for summing up the vision or at least what we've talked about at this point is verse six, um, where it says, uh, it says, wherefore all mankind was in a lost and in a fallen state and ever would be, save they should rely on this redeemer. And that's just a, you know, so it's all about Jesus. He's the rod. He's the love of God. He's the, he's the way, he's the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the father, but by him, um, he, he is God in the flesh. You know, the, he is both the lamb and the eternal father. It's all about him. And Jesus, God couldn't reveal himself to Israel. He tried, but Israel was so hard hearted. They wouldn't, they wouldn't mm -hmm. see it. And, so now he's come to the Gentiles, and I think we're pretty hard-hearted too. <laughs> and when, when we understand this condescension, as we begin to have it spring up in our hearts, it's the most sweet, white, beautiful fruit we've ever partaken of, understanding how the creator of the universe condescended into a physical flesh and blood and allowed himself to be killed for us. Having that revelation of love by our creator manifest in our heart gives us the power to overcome all things and it's the greatest gift knowing right. how much he loves us it, it purges us that love just drives out our sin our hate uh, our filthiness and it cleanses us that revelation yeah well and it's the only thing that is really real i mean as far as you know we've been talking a lot about the church about the doctrine about about temples and priesthood and authority and all these kind of things but the, the center of all of it is just jesus and so if if you know, we have to have him in our lives. He has to be, he has, his Holy Spirit is our authority to do anything to, or to be successful at anything, I guess. But it always comes down to that choice. Do we choose the spacious building or do we choose him? All right. Till next time, be kind to one another. We're just walking each other home down that path. Take care. Take care.